for the husband, God calls him to be a servant leader. And you see this in a wonderful example of God incarnate washing the feet of his disciples. If he was a servant leader, how much more is it that the husband should be the servant leader of his wife? That through love and taking his rightful place that he is properly leading her. If you're really beginning to live a life of victory, you might think that from here on out, everything's going to be easy. But in your marriage, you still see that old man rising up in you. Your temper's surfacing occasionally. Complaining and criticism still come naturally. And there's even thoughts of lust still grabbing at you when you least expect it. Is this what God really has for your marriage? I think the answer is yes and no. It's not God's will that you continue in sin. However, he does desire to use these struggles to mold both of your characters. It takes time to unlearn years of sinful habits and to learn God's values for marriage. And for husbands, it starts by learning to love and serve your wife the way Christ loves us. everyone, welcome to our new series for husbands. In this series, we're going to hear from five of our regular guests about what God's taught them about how to be good husbands and how he's used marriage to sanctify them. In upcoming episodes, you're going to hear from Pastor Steve and Pastor Ed, from Dustin Renz and from Jeff Cologne about what this looked like specifically after they repented of sexual sin. And I think this is going to help a lot of you who've spent years learning the wrong way to be a husband, because you're going to hear some pretty raw testimonies about how they were doing it totally wrong and what God had to do to straighten them out. But before we go there, I think it's important we see what God's design for a husband is, biblically speaking. And to do that, we brought Glenn Meldrum into the studio. In his interview with Nate, He talks about how he's learned to live out God's word in his 43 years of marriage. Glenn, we just finished a series on uh, how to live in victory over sexual sin. And so what we want to do in the next five episodes partially is take a step back and regroup and plan for our next big series, Mm -hmm. but also um, we want to help husbands who have really repented of sexual sin to become better husbands. We know that sexual sin does a lot of damage to the marriage, does a lot of damage internally, Mm -hmm. and so we want to give people some helpful wisdom and advice. And I think it's a really great epilogue to our Victory Series because marriage is really meant to be a picture of God's mercy, Mm -hmm. the husband living that mercy life towards his wife. Um, And, you know, so if a man's been in sexual sin, then he's been failing Mm -hmm. in that role. So that's what we'll talk about in this interview and for the next four shows. You know, when you look at the culture around us, man, people are in so much confusion. There's confusion about Mm -hmm. sexual orientation. There's confusion about gender, um, even just simple right and wrong. And so when we live in this world that's so muddled, and lacking clear, consistent Bible teaching, I assume that there's a lot of confusion about what marriage is, what it's for. Um, 
So when your average guy enters marriage, your average Christian man, he probably has a lot of misconceptions about what marriage really is about and what it means to be a husband, and I'd like for you to address some of those things. Let's start off with what a husband is not. Um, When you think about how the world portrays what being a husband is, what are some of the biggest lies we're being told? Well, I mean, there's a lot of them, and I'll just touch on a couple of them. Okay. But one of them is that the husband should be less male and more female. Really? Which is really just crazy. I mean, it's like, you know, a man is a man and a woman is a woman, Uh and they're not the same. They think different, they act different, they talk different, their Uh emotions are different. And to try and make one to be the other is just foolishness. Hmm. The problem is not being a man. The problem is what we've done with manhood. And Mm. so that has to be conformed to Christ. And if it's not, then man becomes something that's twisted and perverted, either Mm -hmm. weak and wimpy or overpowering and domineering or abusive or whatever. And so it's not that we should be something other than what we are, other than the aspect of being coming like Christ. Okay. And that. Um, there's the aspect of men are condemned for fulfilling God's given role as protector and leader in the home. So it's almost like in our culture, you know, it's this equality. And there is a right equality. There's an mm-hmm. equality in Christ. There's a type of equality that's there. But, you know, anything with more than one head is a monster. <laughs> and right. so, you know, you have the situation where there needs to be right leadership. But that's the whole issue. It has to be right leadership hmm. uh, defined by the Word of God and mm-hmm. not just a controlling, manipulative thing or where a man just relinquishes control to his wife because he's tired of the battles or the confrontations or whatever. Okay. Another idea is that uh, they're never to question the wife's need in fulfilling her uh, her life through higher education, position, ministry, career, and so on. You know, mm. so it's like the mm. woman is to do what she wants to do, no matter what. Mm-hmm. If a man does that, then they're arrogant and ridiculed. Self-serving, yeah. yeah uh-huh. But if a woman does it, then okay, well, that's all right. And so the man just has to go with everything, go with the flow. Otherwise, there's going to be battles and questionings with it. Mm. So the role is just really become something of a support. Uh, whatever she decides, no matter how it affects the family, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that. That's just not a good thing. Hmm. Um, If the woman is not understanding the role of a husband, then she's not going to let the husband fulfill that role. Hmm. She'll actually fight against it, and she'll fight against it to her own uh, harm because she will not let the order that God has established that brings the blessings of God. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you know, as you were talking about each of those three things, what I heard is that in each of those, there's an aspect of truth in each one. Hmm. And that's what makes it so subtle Mm -hmm. and so deceiving, because in each scenario, there's a kind of a truth that those lies are presenting, but it's not the full truth. Mm -hmm. And that really sets up the second question, because we need to establish that in all things, God's word is the authority on the subject. Mm -hmm. It's not the culture. It's not doctrine or man's interpretation of things, and definitely not our feelings and our opinions, it's God's Word. So having said all that, and you've laid out a few things that we're being lied to about, what is the role of a husband as God defines it? Well, I would begin with something that I think is extremely important here, and it's that the husband is the spiritual pace setter of a home. And when that is undermined, the entire home is going to be undermined. Hmm. So 
if a man is not being the spiritual head of the home, uh, the woman can try to take that place, but it will never work. Hmm. It will always become something that is less. And that's not trying to demean the aspect of a woman sure. and her role in a family. Right. It's just God has established that the man is to be the spiritual pace setter. Hmm. And so when he is a godly man and he's leading the family in righteousness, it helps the whole family follow in, in a right hmm. way. Uh, hmm. The wife finds her spot as as wife and mother. The children find their spot, and it works. Hmm. It really does. Yeah. When it's not done God's way, it's always going to have issues, and the issues can get very intense and very severe because mm-hmm. of breaking the pattern and the order that God has established. So mm-hmm. I think uh, the first thing is that husbands need to be the spiritual pace setter of the home. But this mm-hmm. also means that wives need to let their husband be the spiritual pace setter. Mm-hmm. If you have a man that's been in sin and he's not been leading his home, and all of a sudden he gets right with God, and he wants to take his proper place, she can actually try and fight against him Hmm. because she's had the control for so long. Mm -hmm. And so this can be a really uh, serious issue with it. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, we're told that husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Mm -hmm. And so the husband is really given the greatest responsibility in the family. Right. So he's the one that is to love like Christ. Uh, The wife is to love her husband like the church is to love Jesus, which it would be with all of their heart, mind, soul, and strength. Sure, you know, sure. I mean, of course, Christ being supreme above that. But, you know, a husband has to love his wife. And if he doesn't love his wife, then he's not going to lead the way that God would want him to lead. So yeah. he has to become a man that loves his wife, yeah. even in spite of her uh, failures and issues, because he's going to have his own set of them. So he has to become mm. a man that is making the choice to love. Yeah. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't come out of the blue. It must be a choice of the will. Hmm. And that's why when marriages fall apart is there's the choice of the will of a husband and wife to stop loving Hmm. and to not love through difficult times. Mm -hmm. And so if we're going to love through difficult times and and so on, we have to make the choice that we will love no matter what. Mm -hmm. Now, for the husband, God calls him to be a servant leader. And you see this in a wonderful example of God incarnate washing the feet of his disciples. Wow, yeah. And so if this is what Jesus did, and it defines his whole ministry, if he was a servant leader, how much Uh more is it that the husband should be the servant leader of his wife, not the dictator, um, or not the wimp cowering in a corner because he's afraid of her, Uh but that through love and taking his rightful place that he is properly leading her. And... It's kind of like a an illustration could be like, you know, the guy comes in from work and he has a type of job, construction or whatever, and, you know, he's all dirty and filthy from a day's work. And his wife has asked him, would you please take your shoes off at the door? Uh-huh. And he blows up and says, this is my house. I pay all the bills. And <laughs> right. so what's happening is in, in his arrogance, he's not serving his wife. He is yeah. self-serving. And in the very aspect of what he's trying to set straight, he's destroying the marriage. Uh-huh. He's, he's working against it. And uh, so we have to have the example of Christ in the home to follow like him. So a husband has to become the right leader of the home and doing it out of love and doing it selflessly, not for his own benefit or his own comfort, but for the well-being of the wife and children. Uh, And that's really 
what a, a husband's to do is help his wife walk with Jesus and help his children walk with Jesus. Yeah. He can't make them. If he tries to make them, he's going to undermine it. Yeah. But that servant leader, once again, he yeah. leads by example. He leads by the life that he lives. And uh, he must make every decision that is based on what is best for her. And that's seen in thoughts like Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, that he needs to look not at what he wants, mm. but at what is best for her. Mm. And to concentrate upon his wife's need, mm-hmm. not his need. Because if he seeks to satisfy his own need, he's going to undermine it. Because his selfishness, yeah. his self-absorption is going to be destructive to it. Wow. And it's like one of the big things that can happen is... That when a man comes out of sexual sins, he has lived a life of fantasy. And especially if you have a single man that's going to be getting married, he can take that fantasy into the bedroom. Mm. And he can Mm. expect his wife to be this porn star. Mm. And it's going to destroy. It's going to destroy everything that God wants to do and make right intimacy between husband and wife. Mm -hmm. And so this is more than just not going back to pornography, but getting deliverance from the lies, the perversion, and all the fantasy world of it. Otherwise, in one way or the other, it's going to be detrimental to the family. Hmm. Um, There should be no harshness in our life. There shouldn't be the harshness of a man speaking to his wife, uh, the Mm -hmm, anger or anything mm -hmm. else. There should be no criticalness. And so Mm. if a man has this harshness to him, this criticalness or this anger, he really needs to get deliverance from it. He Mm. really needs to seek Jesus for some radical change in his life that he doesn't communicate in these particular ways. And there should be no place for bitterness in his life Mm -hmm. because bitterness is going to make him harsh and critical and all the other uh, dimensions that it's going to add to it. So he has to serve his wife in love and not allowing those things to be in his life. And he needs to rightly assure his wife of his love. And so the final two points that I would bring out with this is that we need to love our wife first And that means that's above friends, above family, above everything. So we need to love her first, and we need to love her strongest with that. Mm. So when we allow some form of competition, and that's what happens with porn, um, but when we allow some form of competition, it's going to undermine, and the wife is going to know it. Mm. The loyalty, the allegiance isn't there. And so that's why in Scripture we're told that we're to leave father, mother, and, and home and cleave to our wife, that there should be no other person in competition for that. But we also need to love her most. Hmm. So that means more than job, Hmm. more than children, more than parents, uh, more than possessions, more Mm -hmm. than anything Mm -hmm. else. So she has to become the prize of our life from this world standpoint. I mean, Hmm. Christ above, but she needs to become the next in order. She needs Hmm. to be the prize. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that I love about what you said in all of this is you brought out how true spiritual authority really works. Because I think a Mm -hmm. lot of times when people think in terms of the man being over the wife, it's like, oh, you're just you're just power hungry and you just want to do whatever you want to do. It's like you don't you didn't read the rest of the verse Mm -hmm. as Christ gave himself. Mm -hmm. He was butchered for us. Mm -hmm. You know, so when a man is in that place like Jesus was He's not looking for his own will. Mm-hmm. He's looking to lay down his life. And when that's done, man, no one can really bring a charge against somebody of, you know, you're just domineering mm-hmm. and you're this that's and right. that. Um, and one of the things that you said I want to talk about a little bit, because I've heard you say this before, that good marriages are built 
when the husband and the wife are both willing to die to self. And so, you know, the way you said it, um, I know it's very important to you, and it sounds like it's something you say a lot. Could you expound on that thought a little more, that a good marriage is built on death to self? Well, I do say it a lot because it is absolutely necessary. Every marriage that ends in divorce ends because they weren't willing to die to self. Hmm. So they had the idle self that was ruling them. Hmm. So until the idle self is tore down, uh, there can't be a good marriage because hmm. self will still be there ruining the marriage. Yeah. Um, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, it tells us, let nothing be done through selfish ambition and that we are to love one another like Christ loves us. So that means we're to esteem others higher than ourselves. To do this in a marriage relationship, we have to die daily to our own desires and seek to love our spouse in a sacrificial way. And so nothing should be done with selfish ambition, but naturally we are selfish. Yeah. So that's what we're going to do. We're yeah. going to look at what satisfies us. And if something isn't satisfying us, then often we'll attack the very thing that we perceive as taking us from what we want. Right. And that can be a wife very much, you know. So you want the particular thing. You want to go out golfing. You want to do this or that. And it's getting in the way of family time. So you <laughs> right. attack the wife instead of realizing that you're living a totally selfish life. Hmm. And you don't want to die to hmm. your own desires. Hmm. Uh, you don't want to die to the golf clubs, in hmm. essence. You know, hmm. you want these things so much in your life that you'll sacrifice a marriage over it. But you won't count your wife of value enough that you'll sacrifice everything else that you might have her and have a right marriage. And so the crucified life is absolutely necessary because self is always an issue. doesn't matter how long you've walked with Jesus, you're still going to have to deal with self. You're mm. still going to have to die to these selfish desires because that's in our fallen Adamic nature. Yeah, And if we don't nail it to the cross and keep it nailed to the cross, it will wiggle off mm. and it'll start causing us some fresh problems. So mm. we have to make the choice to live the crucified life. But if we don't do that, the thing we want is being taken from us because we're undermining it. Yeah. And so we need to selflessly love like Jesus. An interesting thing with this is that Jesus went and did weigh with the second commandment, which is to love others as we want to be loved. He did weigh with it by superseding it. Hmm. And he superseded it in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, that he says, a new command I give you. And what's the new command? That we love selflessly as he loves us. Hmm. So this is now taking it deeper. It's not just saying, okay, I'm going to love you the way I want to be loved. Now it's like, I need to love my wife the way that Jesus loves me. Hmm. And so now it's selfless. It's mm -hmm. sacrificial. Hmm. It is giving ourselves away for the benefit and well-being of our wife, for her happiness and for her joy, that we might find the blessing of God in it then. So when we love like Jesus, God's blessing is going to be on us. And as the head of the home, that blessing is going to come to the family. Mm. It is going to have that, that effect. That's how it works. Mm. And so we need to live the crucified life. As uh, Luke chapter 14, verse 27 says, anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Mm. You know, one of the passages that's often quoted in weddings and maybe sometimes in arguments about uh, what the role of a husband, like I mentioned, is Ephesians 5. And we're not really going to get into the meat of it, but I just wanted to pull out one verse and get your opinion on it. Chapter 5, verse 31 says, 
Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Um, One of the big themes in Ephesians is the unifying of all of humanity in Jesus. And it seems like Paul is basically saying that marriage is a picture of that. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. That there's this unity between Jesus and all of redeemed creation. So how should the understanding of that shape the husband's view of his role? Well, two becoming one is what makes marriage fulfilling and a joy. Hmm. And it's a process. Okay. Right? They have the vow that is given at the altar, you know, and, and all the things that are in a marriage ceremony, but it doesn't mean that they have really become one. And so they may consummate their marriage you know, on their honeymoon and uh-huh. have that dimension, but still doesn't mean they're one. This oneness is something that takes time. Yeah. And it has to be developed and it has to be purposely developed. And if it's not purposely developed, uh, then there'll always be this disunity there in the family. And you never have divorce from two people that are truly one. Hmm. Uh, you have divorce happen because they're fighting against God's plan of oneness. Yeah. So they're resisting it. They're wanting their own lives. This is why the crucified life becomes so important. Right. That they're dying to this individualism that is bringing division in the home rather than giving up their own rights and their own will that they might become one. Hmm. When two are striving to be like Jesus, now here's the real thing. When two are striving to be like Jesus, there will be love and unity. Because the becoming one is not the idea of just becoming one as as two individuals and they're just going to do it themselves. It's that this becoming one is in Christ. And so if we think of that, this oneness comes really through each, the, the husband and wife, trying to be like Jesus. And the okay. more they become like Jesus, the more they start thinking properly. doesn't mean a man stops thinking like a man or a woman like a woman. It okay. just means that they have this common ground of thinking like Christ hmm. and that he bridges the differences between men and women and makes it a blessing rather than this curse of separation. Hmm. And so it becomes a wonderful thing to it. Yeah. But it's going to be in Christ that they find this unity. And um, your wife should be your best friend. Mm. I mean, if a guy has a best friend outside of his wife, then he's wrong. I mean, I'm not saying there isn't old buddies that are there and you really like spending time with them. There's nothing wrong with having a friend. But your best friend should be your wife. And if she's not your best friend, then you have done something wrong. And you need to Mm. go back and say, how have I erred in this? How is it that somebody else has become my best friend and not my wife? What division has happened in the home? Why isn't Jesus the center of this that we begin to enjoy what it is together? Uh, A wife also needs to be his closest confidant, you know, that Hmm. you're going to her and you're getting advice of what to do Hmm. with money and other things Uh like that, that it's not just the arrogance of a man says, I'm going to do what I want, but that he is learning how to make his wife a confidant doesn't mean they're always going to agree, but it does sure. mean that he's looking to her advice and he needs to be a prayer partner. Hmm. Um, hmm. You know, so the husband and wife need to, to be praying together and they need a spiritual life together, not just going to church, but every day they should be making Jesus the center of their marriage right, right. because they're praying. And uh, 
They need to be a soldier next to each other where they're fighting this good fight of faith yeah. together. Yeah. Rather than fighting against each other, right. being at war with each other, they're fighting with each other. When they see the temptations and the battles and the, the way that the devil's trying to get into the marriage, that together they are fighting against this yeah. rather than making the spouse the enemy. And wow. so they have a common enemy and they need to fight against that common enemy. Yeah. And uh, that unity helps them to fight and to fight much better. And only Christ can do this work of unity, and he does it by working in us in unity with him. So how yeah. can I be in unity with my wife if I'm not in unity with Christ? Mm-hmm. So I have to be in unity with him, and the deeper my unity is with him and the more he is becoming my my everything, the more a unity will come into my wife's life, yeah. and we'll have that unity together. Yeah, the thing I hear is, man, Marriage can either be one of the most incredible blessings on this earth, mm-hmm. or it can be one of the most incredible curses yes. in this life, Absolutely. you know, depending on which way, yeah. depending on whether or not you allow the Lord to be in control of things or not. Yeah. Um, I'd like to just end our show today, maybe if I could, just getting a little personal You know, all of our other guests are going to be men who were in sexual sin, and so we're hoping that aspects of their testimony will really relate to guys who are listening. But I'm sure that for the last 40 years, you've been learning a lot of lessons too, even if it's not necessarily about sexual sin. Is there any, I don't know, particular trial or a lesson that you learned that you could share with our listeners to encourage them? You know, Jesse and I, we've, we've had our, our problems over the years, 43 years of marriage now. And, um, yeah. you know, I've been a, a believer for 47 years or something and been in ministry for 40 years, so I've been around a little bit. <laughs> and um, one thing that we did in the very beginning of our marriage, so, I mean, you're talking 43 years ago now. Uh-huh. And it's because we both grew up in homes that were just devastated by divorce, remarriage, divorce, remarriage. Mm. You know, it was just terrible. My brothers followed suit. And I mean, it's just a a terrible thing. And what it is, is we made a vow to each other that we would never, ever, ever use the worst cuss word that there is, which is divorce. Mm. We would never say it. We have never, ever once ever said it, ever threatened it. And when do people threaten that? When they're angry, when they're in the midst of, uh, of some kind of fight because they're both out of control. Hmm. So when they're out of control, their emotions are, are hot. They start saying things just to hurt. And so they make a threat that sometimes they follow through on. Hmm. And uh, if that's never allowed, if it's not an option, if you have taken the whole aspect of divorce and made it not even something that you let in your home, to be considered, then you have overcome a major obstacle that you're saying, okay, there's no escape from this. You know, either we're going to endure each other or we're going to make a good marriage. Mm. And enduring it is not an option. So (laughs) we're going to make sure that it's a good marriage. So we're going to do what it takes. We're going to work through the problems. We're going to talk through the problems. We're going to pray through the problems Mm. and we're going to allow Jesus to transform us. Mm. Um, To do this though, husband and wife need to be quick to repent. Yeah. They need to be quick to repent first to God, Hmm. okay? It has to begin with him. God, forgive me for the word. Forgive me for the action. Forgive me for whatever it is. Forgive me. And then uh, there needs to be the humility, the brokenness enough to go to your wife and say, will you forgive me? Yeah. And you don't ask your wife to forgive you by telling her off, okay? (laughs) A lot of people do that, you know, 
oh, honey, will you forgive me? But you made me so mad with what you said. And right. so you just told her off. You just right. did blame shifting. You uh-huh. went and said, well, it was your fault. And it's the same thing in the garden where, you know, Adam blamed God and Eve and Eve blamed the devil and, and the devil laughed. And so we have to uh, be quick to repent to God and quick to repent to our wife mm. in a right way, mm. where the best thing is always to ask for forgiveness, not to demand it saying, I'm mm. sorry, but to say, will you please forgive me? Yeah. And let her say yes or no. Now she's put it in the spot where she has to make a decision. You're not trying to manipulate, okay? But you are truly wanting to humble yourself and repent. Hmm. And uh, so you need to, to take interest in her. How many times do husbands really take interest in their wife? So, you know, my wife is a biblical counselor. And there's not a time that she has a session of counseling that I don't ask her how it goes. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. she has been with me all these years of me pastoring and being an evangelist. She's been right by my side and helping me, praying for me, being my prayer covering and support mm. and everything. And when she started this, I wanted to make sure that I was as much of a support or more than what it, she had been all those years. Wow. And so she knows I care. She yeah. knows I'm concerned. She knows I I uh, pray for these ladies, though I can't remember all their names. And <laughs> but yet I I pray for them yeah. because this is her ministry. You know, she goes out shopping and she comes back and you know she bought some clothes. What'd you buy? Show me what you bought. Mm. You know, it's just the thing of that these things are important to me. And if a man cannot become sensitive to the needs of his wife like that in simple things, he's went and says, well, I'm more important than you. I want you mm-hmm. to talk about my day and what went on, right. but I really don't care to listen to you. Right. You know, Or he asks her and picks up his phone and does a text or looks at the news. I mean, yeah. he's just a self-absorbed man. Mm. There needs to be the genuine love and concern for her. Um, he needs to love spending time with her and uh, doing for her little acts of kindness. You know, I mean... There's nobody on this planet I'd rather be with than my wife. Hmm. And that's the reality. When I travel, I want my wife there with hmm. me. Not because I'm insecure, but I want her right there. Hmm. She's my best buddy. She is my best confidant. She's my best warrior. Hmm. You know, I mean, it's like uh, I, hmm. I couldn't have asked for it to be any better. Hmm. But it's been all these years together that we've been developing this more and more. Yeah. And after 43 years of marriage, we're still growing more and more in it. Hmm. And that love is growing sweeter and it's growing stronger. And we're learning how to do it better. Wow. Well, you've given us a ton to chew on and think about. I really appreciate it because it's so helpful. It's as I listen to the whole thing, it's like, man, this is so counter-cultural and counter-intuitive and counter-everything, but you can also hear that it's worth it. Yes. When you really experience the benefit of living in that God-blessed and God-honored relationship, uh, it sounds incredible. Well, I'd like to add one more thing. Yeah. This is really just advice for husbands. So the husband needs to be the spiritual head of the home. Mm -hmm. He needs to be the spiritual pace setter. And part of that there is having a mind to watch over his wife. He's to be her protector. Mm. But we always think of that they're just in the physical. He needs to be her protector spiritually. And that means he has to guard her life. He has to watch her and make sure that she is being the spiritual woman she should be by encouraging her and giving her all the opportunity to be that woman of God. Mm. And so we're told in Ephesians that we're to make her holy. 
So I can't make her holy. That comes from God. But I can give the opportunity to help her to be holy. Hmm. And let me just give an example with this. Um, when I pastored in the streets of Detroit, I would always strive to be home for dinner so that I could be with her and the kids. And then after dinner, I would let my wife get away. And she could go uh, to our bedroom, and I let her have her uh, a time, an hour with Jesus. Mm. And the kids could not talk mm. to her, could not go after her okay, or anything okay. else. I watched the kids, took care of the needs that was there, and they knew that mom was meeting with Jesus, mm. and you leave her to be with Jesus. Mm. So I was guarding her prayer life. I was guarding the busyness that can be there of working a secular job, of right. having to be a mom and all those dynamics. Right. I was guarding it because I know for Jesse to have been the best mother and wife she could be, I needed to help her in her spiritual life. Hmm. And so I helped her in her spiritual life. I hmm. gave her that opportunity and I protected that because it was so extremely important. Hmm. How often is it that men do this? How often are they really looking at the spiritual life of their wife and making time and allowance for them to be with Jesus right. and that he helps develop in her this wonderful prayer life where she is loving being with Jesus and she's finding life in that and then she takes it into the family. The Bible tells us not to grow weary in doing good for at the right time we'll reap a spiritual harvest if we don't give up. And I wonder how many men have experienced real change, real repentance from sexual sin, and were on the path to that harvest. But then weariness came in, and it led to giving up. And I don't want that to be your story. And I hope as we go through this series and talk about some of the struggles in marriage, you'll remember to keep your eyes on Jesus so that you won't grow weary of doing good. And I hope that what you learn will encourage you to persevere until you really see that fruit come in your marriage. But that's all we have for this week. Next time, we have Steve Gallagher in with us to talk about what it means for husbands to really live selflessly. Thanks for joining us today on Purity for Life. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.